What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> no, I got good feedback on the last one. Uh, I didn't get it, but somebody told Rachel that they listened to it and they signed up some people for Phil the Fork. Good. Which is kind of the goal. No doubt. All right. Let's just jump into it. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, and now with Lee McClellan. Hope everybody finds themselves well in this cold, cold weather. <laughs> it is cold. That's one thing I was going to talk about. One degree this morning. Yeah, you had car trouble, right? A uh, battery died. One degree said, bye bye, four year old battery. Yep. That, uh, Kicked this, its butt. This is the time of year those batteries do that. Mm -hmm. Anytime, it, I, I think I replaced my battery on my truck last year at this time. So whenever it gets real cold, it just, if they're anywhere close to being on the way out, it just completely kills them. Yes. I uh, had car trouble this morning also. It wasn't a battery, but I think uh, I probably didn't have the right ratio of antifreeze and water in my coolant system because something froze up. Mm. I walked outside and started my vehicle and went back in and 10 minutes later I came outside and it was reading hot and I was getting no warm air. I think maybe my heater core mm. might, might have froze up or something like that. So I'm hoping there's no big issue. If I realize that I have a, a serious coolant leak somewhere, hopefully it just cracks something that's easy to fix like a something in the radiator. Do you see anything on the ground or anything? No, but I was very, very low on coolant. Mm. So then that kind of upset me too because I didn't have antifreeze of the house, so I just added water to it. So now I know my ratio is even more off. So I had I came into work a little bit late today. I had to deal with all that. Cold uh, cold temperatures can definitely be tough on vehicles, tough, mm -hmm. on, tough on people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. You know, last night I got a pet turkey. Obviously, I think I've told you that before. Well, the chickens can go in the chicken coop and huddle up, you know, out of the wind and get some body heat going. But the turkey, he's just all alone. And he doesn't fit in the chicken coop. So last night I let him sleep in the house. Which was a mess, right? You have a turkey sleep with you in your bed uh, here at the record? He, uh, he was boxed into the back room, back in the laundry room. But my dog was just looking. He would look at me. He'd look at the turkey, and he'd look back at me. He's like, what is this thing doing in the house? Like, like what? He uh, He's not a big fan Dad, of that. Dad, I want to eat that. Why did you yeah. bring it in here? I no, want to chase it and eat it. He is terrified. One of my chickens is the meanest little chicken. And as soon as I let my dog outside some days, so the chicken will just run over and just start pecking and attacking him. I don't know why it does it, but he is, ever since that happened, he is just terrified of all the chickens and the turkey, even though the turkey's the biggest chicken of them all, you know? No doubt. Yeah, so that turkey would never even think about it, but he just sees this this uh, huge chicken that's bigger than he is, and he was kind of giving me those side-eye looks last night. He was not happy to have that thing in the house, but anyway, yeah, cold temperatures well, supposed, should be warming up soon, so. I don't know any dog that would be, like, freaking if a turkey was in the house anyway, yeah. they would all be like that yeah and you know his sense of smell he probably been, mm, mm. yeah he knew what was coming because go eat that it's disgusting as it is this morning i had a, a mess on my hands i had to man it's amazing what those things can put out <laughs> it's it, it's like it's, a great blue heron they're the worst it's disgusting I i've should, been I battling before it. and it's like you're you're uh you're on uh Okinawa. Yeah. You're like, oh no, <laughs> I'm gonna get hit. And you can't believe, like, how did that bird have that much inside of? Yeah. This, uh, you know, I was thinking though, the turkey. Obviously, I let him in the house because I didn't want him to freeze to death out there. But I mean, there's what two million wild turkeys in Kentucky, and they're. I'm assuming those wild turkeys are still roosting in trees, right? I mean, other, either that or they're going to be food for some predator out there. So I mean, they have ways to make it. Yeah, I just kind of, you know, it's curious when the temperatures get, you know, down to zero, wind chill of negative 20 that we had here recently. It's I mean, really hard on quail. Really hard on quail. Yeah, I've seen quail. I've seen a lot of pictures of uh, the quail huddled up and, mm -hmm. in groups, you know, staying real tight for uh, body temperature. But, you know, you'd think that the wild turkey would have it pretty rough, too. 
Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they're up there in the treetops. And if you got a negative 20-degree wind chill at night, I mean, they're feeling it. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to see what this kind of cold temperature does to some of the game species out there. The uh, My turkey, he will bury his head in his breast feathers. You ever seen him do that? Uh, yeah, I guess I have. Yeah, you walk in. I, like, sometimes I look at him, and it looks like he's completely headless, but his head is just tucked <laughs> up against its inside of his feather. So it's kind of cool. I know they, I guess that's the only part of their body that's really exposed. They don't have a, you know, a feather layering on their head. So they do that to keep their heads a little bit warm. But I, uh, I would like to talk to our biologists and see what really cold weather, like what species it really takes in a toll on. Well, if you're ever on in an area where you know there's quail and you find a little whitish circle, yeah, that's a sign of where they've all huddled up butt to yeah. butt, and and that's that's their their leftover remains from the, where they spent the night. Yeah, that makes sense. I had I've seen pictures. I guess they go they go butt to butt so they mm-hmm. can look out and see. I've seen a still. few on Kentucky River WMA before. Hmm, that's pretty cool. I uh, see some of the things I was wanting to talk about today. Cold temperatures. Mm-hmm. How there's nothing really to do besides sit inside and watch basketball. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, if you're a Kentucky or Louisville fan right now. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, things are going well. But I'm not a Vanderbilt fan. Oh, my gosh. I was almost rooting for him <laughs> a little bit the other day, man. It got ugly. Hello, 40, 45 to 15 at the halftime. I was like, gosh, that's a that's a whooping. No, no. And I'd say Bryce Drew is losing that fan base. Yeah, and to add insult to injury, it was like every time Kentucky scored, I heard more cheers mm-hmm. from the crowd than I did for, from when Vanderbilt did something good. I, I think Big Blue really traveled down there. Mm-hmm. I've been in that gym. I, I watched a game I've at the been. end of toward the end of Tubby's era there. I know this isn't wildlife related at all, but that gym always scares me. Mm-hmm. Whenever whenever we go there, something. Oh, it's it's got a weird thing about it. So, we lost that game, by the way. We lost by five. Oh, when you went, mm-hmm. yeah, we've lost some games in that gym. I didn't think we should have lost. And you know, I've kind of thought young teams haven't played there before, first time in in the stadium and they're on the baselines instead of the sidelines and communicating with the coach just might be tougher. But I mean, this year's team took care of it. Yeah. No worries. And then Kentucky or uh, Louisville on a win streak right now. Also laid it to wake forest last night. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're, they're doing pretty good for considering they're, you know, projected to finish 11th in the ACC, and right yeah, now they're... I think that's over with. Yeah. yeah. If they, well, they still got a pretty tough slate coming up. They got Duke, Virginia, Florida State, Virginia Tech. So they got some tough games coming up, but they'll lose a few, but they're still way overachieving. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just sit inside and watch basketball is one thing to do. It is supposed to warm up a little bit, and by warm up a little bit, I mean like 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel warm that this yeah. afternoon because I was changing that battery in like seven degree weather this morning. Yeah, I was literally. Now it's, it's 22 or so. It's like, wow, it feels good. Yeah, when I was walking inside from lunch earlier, I think it was about 15 degrees and there was no wind, and I was like, oh, it's comfortable out here. 15 Let's degrees. go fishing. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I would. I was actually kind of hoping that it'd freeze up real hard and I could uh, go ice fishing on the pond next to my house. But Be careful. I, I checked it yesterday. It was still wide open, so it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we'd need another week of really cold temperature. When I was a kid. I was on a distillery pond, and uh, we got way out there in weather like this, and our it started so breaking. Cracking. We ran for our lives, and like it was like we were running oh, yeah. from. Hell yeah. I did the same. When <laughs> running I, from a tornado or something. When I was a little, we kid. got back, but it was cracking right behind us and flooding. When I was a little kid, we'd walk out on those ponds too, and to kind of push our luck. And I remember one time, one of my buddies went in. We were probably eight or nine years old. He went in and got soaked, and we were only four hundred yards from the house. But you know, when you're a little kid, four hundred yards seems it's like a long way. Now we we thought that we had just defeated death when we got back to the That's house. What I felt. But no, we were good. Yeah, you got to be careful for sure. For sure. I'm going to coyote hunt my tail off this weekend, though, is what I was going to say. Because uh, when those when the temperatures start to rise a little bit, I still feel like the predators are going to be really active. You know, because it's probably been tough for them these last few days. 
So I think that when the temperatures start climbing, they'll probably be really active looking for food. So I'm going to shoot my rifle today when I get home. I've kind of been waiting for a no wind day, and I'm looking out the window right now, and those pines, yeah. the pine needles aren't moving. So a good day to shoot my rifle. And then uh, tomorrow after work, I'll be three days of, of predator hunting. Good deal. Yeah, I've got several landowners asking me to come out. It seems like this time of year, when it gets real cold, cats start going missing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the case with at least two or three people. You know, a lot of people don't even think about having you out to coyote hunt until there's a problem. And usually it's cats or cattle. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like dogs somehow kind of hold their own. I'm not sure exactly how that goes, but I'm going to go out there and try to take care of a few of those uh, problem coyotes. Because you can't take care of them all. You just hope you get the one that's causing the problem. Mm -hmm. The one that's eating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of how pets. it goes. The way they are is... Uh, you know, coyotes typically don't really cause a problem, and there's absolutely nothing you can do as a hunter to affect the population. You know, you, if you go out there and you have a really good set and you get two, next week there's going to be two more. You know, if there's food and shelter available, those coyotes are going to saturate the landscape 100% of the time. But if you get that one who's kind of overbold and overbrazen, he's willing to go in a barn or go really close to a house to get a meal, if you can take care of that one, then you've done something pretty helpful. You know, that's kind of the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. But um, let's see. Besides that, I wanted to talk about some of the stuff we've done with the show recently. Mm -hmm. I went on a raccoon hunt the other night, and it's the first one I've ever been on. Never had been raccoon hunting before, and that was pretty cool to see that dog work. It was like a national champion. She was really good. But uh, seeing how they work, and it's amazing. I think that dog averaged like 12 miles an hour mm -hmm. and pitch black, running through those woods. You know what I mean? And I don't see how they navigate. It, it, it just seems ridiculous to me. They can run through the pitch dark woods without hitting sticks or mm -hmm. getting hurt or anything like that. It's pretty cool. And uh, we treed four coons. We got three of them. One of them was in a den, but we could still see it. But And uh, pretty, pretty pretty interesting. That's that, one of my grandfather's favorite things to do is coon hunt. Coon hunting? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really about the dog. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I think the closest I've ever been to coon hunting before today was uh, reading where the red fern grows. Uh, five times back in grade school. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason I knew what to expect at all, you know. And when you really go out there and do it, it's a little bit. I have that book in a long time. Yeah, they made a movie now. Mm -hmm. I, I never watched the movie because I was so. Was Jane Fonda in the movie? I never saw it. I have no idea. I don't even know who that is, to be honest with you. Who, Jane Fonda? No. Who is it? I have no idea. Um, Give me another Henry movie. Fonda? Give me another movie. Um, Golden Pond. Nope. I haven't seen it. I'm not. Um, I'm not a big movie guy. I'm kind of, I go to my... Barbarella, but that's that dates, that was a, she ran around in a, a bikini-ish outfit. Yeah, I definitely haven't seen that one either, but... She was infamous for uh, <laughs> her stances on Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that was back then. Mm -hmm. hmm. She's been in a few movies recently, but it's the, um, definitely the 50 plus set okay. is the projected audience. So when you say <clears> that, I'm thinking, uh, for some reason, Shawshank Redemption popped in my head. Because he had that poster of the of the girl in the bikini. I think he had a couple of them. And that's what he used to hide the hole. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I was thinking, well, is he, you know. She wasn't that. Was that very yeah, possible? No, no, that was 1920s. The time frame of that movie was, I think, 1920s, oh, yeah. 1930s. So that would have been before it could have possibly been. I haven't seen her, that movie so. a long time. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is I pretty much watch the same movies over and over. <laughs> you know, I've got like 10 movies that I really love. Um, the Departed is really good. Mm -hmm. you seen that one? Oh, yes. Of cast in that one's probably the best cast in any movie mm -hmm. ever, and uh, Shawshank is good. Goodwill Hunting, mm -hmm. uh, Casino, I like Heat with Robert. Casino, De Niro. the book was fantastic. Never read it. See, that's kind of the opposite of Red Fern for me. But 
Anyway, man, I'm sidetracking today. That's that's well, fun though. It, that happens when it's uh you know single digits yeah, yeah. below <laughs> below uh, zero when yeah. what, uh, chills this morning. It freezes the the blood. Well, that's a that's a good point. Is if anybody's uh, snowed in or, or frozen into your house and you're looking for a movie to watch, uh, think about. The ones I just named, because <laughs> they're really good. You won't you won't be disappointed if you watch Shawshank, uh, The Departed, Goodwill Hunting. Those three are probably three of my favorites. I know I'm leaving a few off. I also watched the whole Marvel series recently and try to do it in order, you know, like the Avengers and all that stuff. So I'm kind of a, I guess I'm kind of a nerd. I'm not a Brent. Cool Hand Luke is a fantastic one. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that one. Oh, I can eat 50 eggs. you never seen Cool Hand Luke? <laughs> no, I oh, haven't. You've got, you've got to put that okay, on. Okay, I'll, I'll put that one on the list. Uh, a, the best movies of all time. A River Runs Through, it's really good. Yeah, it's that, fantastic. That's a fishing related. I bet he'll show up with a can of Hills, with the Hills oh, yeah, can yeah. of worms. Yeah. He shows up gonna, over <laughs> the Hills can of worms. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't he thing. pass out and get sunburned? Well, on he him. was so drunk or hungover, <laughs> one of the two, he falls asleep on the riverbank and he gets so sunburned. Now that's a yeah, that's a good movie yeah, too. It's fantastic. <laughs> and it, one of the things that, that even though it's dreary now, um, you know, in a week or two we're gonna have some things moving if we can get yeah good weather conditions. Uh, they're high now, but Sauger and Walleye are right mm -hmm. up there, especially Sauger, they're below the dams right now. Yeah. It's just most of them are high and muddy. Yeah. When they clear and stabilize, it's gonna be game on. We uh, have a guy that we've been talking to about going sauger and walleye fishing. He's been catching them on the dams or below the dams on the Kentucky River. And he's a bank fisherman. And how it actually came together was we were out in Paris, Kentucky. We were on our way home from a squirrel hunt. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, I told you. And we were walking into this Mexican restaurant, me and Chad, to, to grab some food. And this guy hollers at us. He said, When are you guys going to go fishing with me? He was sitting in his truck. And, you know, normally when people do that, we kind of roll our eyes and look at each other and, you know, Chad, he's a, he's a nice guy. He likes to make conversation. So he walked over to the guy's truck, and he's like, have you been catching some? What have you been catching? And this guy said, oh, smallmouth on the reservoirs. We'd like to go down to Dale and Cumberland and catch a smallmouth. And you saw, I saw Chad's eyes just light up. Oh, yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, no, he said that he'd really been having good luck with the sauger and the walleye. And he said he bank fishes. And uh, that's one thing we always try to do for the show is highlight more bank fishing opportunities. Mm -hmm. because Not, not everybody has a boat. I do it yeah. in my columns, too. Yeah, we... Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of a little bit spoiled. We have a, actually, we don't have a boat right now, but we, we do a lot of fishing out of boats, but that doesn't really appeal to everybody, mm -hmm. you know? So if you can highlight a bank fishing opportunity, that's something that everybody can do. So that's, I think that's something we're going to go try to do here fairly soon. And, uh, anyway, that squirrel hunt we were on was with Steve Stacy. You know, Steve Stacy? I know that name. He's, a, he's the that? falconer that was on mm, our falcon. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, we went falcon hunting with him last year. And so everybody had their had their birds out there, the birds of prey, Harris hawks, red tail hawks, things like that. And he had a set of beagles out there to run rabbits for these hawks to to catch. And he had a squirrel dog to tree squirrels. And that squirrel dog, Chad said it was probably the best one he's ever seen. So we lined up a hunt with him, and sure enough, that dog was amazing. And that's it's kind of cool, you know, seeing the the coon hounds run and the squirrel dogs work. I mean, and the beagles, you know, hunting with the dog is probably my favorite type of hunting like I'm obviously I love bow hunting I love coyote hunting I love those things but when you have a dog that's out there you know interacting with the game and, and working it up and you know doing a good job that's that's a lot of fun no doubt yeah and uh one of the cool things on that squirrel hunt that I was going to bring up is the history of the mountain feist he told us mm -hmm. do, you, do you know the history of it a little yeah. Karen has one doesn't you uh I'm not sure it's a feist she, she squirrel hunts with it 
Well, he said, because we, we chatted. Are, are they called training feists as well? Uh, there's two. There's a training feist and a mountain feist. Okay. And the mountain feist is just a little bit different. I, I couldn't tell the difference in them. I know that the mountain feists have the ears that stick up. But we asked him um, how that breed came about or, you know, why they were used for squirrel hunting. And he said that when people first came into this part of the country years and years and years ago, I mean, he said George Washington wrote about mountain feist in his memoirs. So, I mean, it's an old breed, but he said people in the mountains were poor and they couldn't afford to feed and take care of a, a bigger dog. So they got the smaller dog, they got that breed, and they trained them to tree squirrels and possums and raccoons. And it was basically an all-around dog that the poor people who didn't really have the means to afford a big dog could use for everything. And so that's why the mountain feist was, you know, it's kind of how it came to be what it is. And now it's strictly a, a squirrel hunting dog. But hearing that history and... You know, how it basically originated from the mountains because people were poor back in the day was, was pretty cool. And that's when people had to get their own food. Mm -hmm. So having a dog that could treat animals and game for you was pretty important. So I thought I thought it was a cool story. And hearing it from Steve, he he said that his uh, some of his ancestors were some of the first settlers and came into this part of the country. And, yeah, he, he, he was pretty connected to it. And you always like hearing a story from somebody who's kind of invested, so. It's good. It's on the. It's on YouTube now. If somebody wants to watch it, just type in uh, uh, "squirrel hunting Kentucky field" or "Kentucky field mountain feist" or something like that, and it'll pop up so you can watch it. A good buddy of mine is from ancestry is from Clay County, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he had an old. I wanted say eighteen ninety seven or eighteen nineties era Remington twenty two with a rolling block and then an mm -hmm. octagonal barrel, and my brother. Got it running for him again. That thing hmm. still drives tax. And that was a squirrel gun. Hmm. He's got pictures from the turn of the century of squirrels laying in front of him. That rifle and his ancestors. Huh. That's pretty Very cool. cherished possession. But I, it is. That thing still drives tax. It's yeah. fantastic. Those are rolling blocks are cool, cool, cool guns. I got a feeling that if I was going to pack a rolling block octagon barrel mm -hmm. rifle through the woods to hunt squirrels with, it better have some. some... No doubt. It better have some. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that thing, that big fat barrel is like, yeah. it's heavy, but it's you know. Probably a 10 pound or a 12 pound 22 mm -hmm. rifle like you can get them a lot uh a lot lighter but that one better have some sentimental value if you're gonna pack a yeah he doesn't he, he wanted to get it in working order but he didn't yeah. take it in the woods it's yeah. too, too valuable to him yeah you take it out there and, and get a couple get a good picture and just say that you know you hunted with that gun too and you're able to take some game with it that's uh yeah that, that, i mean that that means something steve actually hunted with a like a lime green 1022 he had a zombie stock on it. And I asked him, I said, Steve, why do you got a green stock on your rifle? Because it just looks kind of funny. He said he's tired of leaning his gun up against a tree and losing it in the woods. <laughs> and I've done that turkey hunt. I, I, I've, set a, I've set a shotgun up against a tree in the woods and, and walked off, you know, 20, 30 yards. And then probably spent 15 minutes searching for it. Because, <laughs> I mean, they just blend in so well. But that's why he had that lime green 22 is so he wouldn't lose it in the woods. I've got a 1022 and I love it. Oh, best 22 made, in my opinion. I mean, I'm sure there's some better 22s for certain things out there's probably more accurate ones there's probably better shooting ones there's lighter weight ones but all around gun 1022 is hard to beat mm -hmm. and they got that rotary magazine that's really what makes them special is that there's no exposed magazine you can get a 30 rounder for it yeah want. I, I have one but it's i hard. still like i'd rather pack two of the rotary tens and yeah i just like it good shooting 22s i got one for a graduation present when i graduated high school somebody gave it to me and then down the road, uh, they wanted to modify. Somebody else wanted to practice some gunsmithing thing. They wanted to try to mm -hmm. refinish the barrel or do something. So I said, yeah, go for it. And then uh, 
I don't know where that gun is now. It's pretty bad. There's, guy, there's like, can I refinish your gun, sucker? No, <laughs> no it's a, I, I haven't seen that gun in 10, 10 years, but the guy I gave it back to is the same person that bought it for me. So I'm assuming that it's in the same person's name. That, so I'm not too worried. It's a family member or a family friend, one of the two, but I don't know where that gun is. I might have to go digging through their I stuff. I take the tree on that bad boy. Yep. My yeah. brother has one with the big, big giant bull barrel and you can drive tax with that big fat barrel they make carbon barrels for them too so they're lighter weight and they dissipate the heat pretty well but those are i mean they're good looking guns i'd love to have another 1022 or maybe i'd just like to have mine back yeah you know that'd be that'd be I'd sweet like to have the original one i used to have back yeah that'd be great but i was going to talk a little bit more about some uh other stuff we've done recently i got to go on a really cool shoot the other day where they were capturing uh the elk the helicopter and I've seen video of it, but I never had seen it in person. But it is pretty cool when you see an elk hanging 50 feet below a helicopter flying through the air. And it's it's also kind of funny because these elk have their, their heads out. And they're just kind of looking around. And you got to kind of wonder, what's going through that elk's mind right now? Like, do you think he just got abducted by aliens or something? Because that's the equivalent of, you know, how it would be for a person if all of a sudden some machine comes flying up on you and... and nets you and ties you to the bottom of it and lifts you way up in the air it's like man that's kind of crazy but it's it's really mm -hmm. kind of remarkable the elk don't seem stressed at all mm -hmm. you know uh, they put the blindfold on them when they get them on the ground and they're just calm as can be i held one of them you know sitting there with a live elk that was i saw your picture yeah it was uh running through the the hills of eastern kentucky 15 minutes before you know just as wild as could be and 15 minutes later it's two miles from where it started and it's getting i'm holding it <laughs> it's got to be the weirdest experience but i uh, you know there was a lot of blo public blowback on that like i saw this video somebody posted it to our page somebody posted it to the department's page and it was just a video of one of our trucks pulling a trailer with elk and uh the caption on it was like this is why we don't have any elk in eastern kentucky and i was thinking to myself whoever did that can't understand what's going on here well we kevin did the same story last year and it ran on the well, local news and people loved it yeah yeah but there's you know people like to complain yeah. but um the whole point behind this elk relocation is they've got a good population of elk in one area and they're lacking elk in another area mm -hmm. and a lot of that has to do with geological features so because of the way a ridge runs or a river runs or just how the mountains form elk never actually made it to the spot and it's an area that can support elk and just doesn't have them because they never migrated there so what we're doing is taking elk from one spot i think it was knott county mm -hmm. we're taking uh, a number of elk from knott county and moving them to bell county and um, what that's going to allow is the elk we moved to bell county that herd is going to grow mm -hmm. and then the herd in knott county that we took them from that herd is going to bounce back you know what i mean because i mean that herd will grow it obviously grew there there was enough resources for those elk to thrive there in the first place and the net result is more elk. You know what I mean? So to post a video of us doing something that's going to create more elk and to caption it, this is why we don't have elk, is just non nonsensical. You know, uh, the more I know of the internet, the more I prefer books. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because I think a lot of people just do that to be trolly. And, yeah. You know, get a reaction, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I saw that video posted everywhere. And, I, you know, I got to kind of try to bite my tongue i can't it's not i'm not an elk biologist it's not my job to speak out about stuff like that so i um i just kind of let it be but i did think you know while we're on the podcast here i can try to educate people about what's going on there mm -hmm. and it's just you know we're trying to form a new elk herd. i covered the original elk the first 
Yeah. Half dozen elk hunts. You know what's cool? When we were driving there, first of all, there was a big bull. I mean, a big bull. Bedded up sleeping 100 yards from the road. We were driving in. I got We stopped our trucks, and we were looking at this big bull. And that was, that was pretty cool to see a big bull just bedded up. I mean, you don't even see deer doing that. It, it was cool. But while we were out there, you know, all the all the cow elk right now that are pregnant, they're all herded up. They're in these big groups together. And one of the cow elk that we saw was one of the original releases. Mm-hmm. It was released. Uh, wow. Yeah. Said it was. That's an old mama. Yeah. She was in the back of the herd. And, uh, you know, they got the binoculars out and they looked at her ear tag. She's not one that was captured. But they looked at her tag and they looked her up and you could tell she just was an old, old elk. And uh, 18 years ago is when she was released. It was a 91. So, I mean, that elk has been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she was in the back of the group and. You know, she's lived a little bit longer than they're expected to live in the mm-hmm. wild. Um, I think average life expectancy is 13 to 15 years in the wild. So she's outlived, you know, probably probably what she was expected to do. She was a, a calf when they released her. So she's been here her whole life. But that uh, that was pretty cool to see. And to think that she was, at one point, probably the, the lead elk in that. You know, mm-hmm. she was probably leading all the cows. She was probably the, the biggest, healthiest one. And now she's in the back. She's probably not got much teeth left. And... You know, no. it, it was it was cool though to think about still original release animals mm-hmm. out, out there roaming around. Back in two thousand one, I went on a photo shoot uh-huh. with the, the late Carolyn Lynn, and I picked her up. <clears throat> I had to get up at two to be in Jackson on time to be there before dark, and I picked up uh, Carolyn, and we drove to along with Charlie Logston mm-hmm. and Joe Lacefield. We drove to a spot in Breathitt County, <clears throat> and it's like we can get close here. Mm-hmm. And we got our stuff situated and got the cameras ready. I was going to try to get some pictures. I ended up getting some, but I actually spooked him too. But this cow, I mean, was from here to the wall for me. And my heart was... Wow. And then here comes, we hear this... <clears throat> I smell. Oh, you smell the bull. I was like, oh, and here comes this big six by six. Just, I mean, I could have ran out and hit him with my fist in like three jumps and right. he runs right beside me he's, mm, you know and he was like looking around going where's the women at you know yeah. we were like oh. i mean my my heart was in my and then i jumped up and flashed it and spooked them all and nothing came back <laughs> 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 well, i got a decent picture though but i mean that? they never came back again but it was you, thrilling i hope you got a good photo it sounds like you ruined the experience of a <laughs> lifetime there <laughs> it was cool though well, i mean that was my job we needed some photos so. now they say that those bulls during mating season will get close yeah and i mean i couldn't believe it I could smell it long before I could see it. During archery season, one, during mating season, during archery season, one way they hunt them is uh, the archer, the hunter, will get up there in front, and the person calling will get about 30 yards back. And that bull will come you know, right up into range of that archer when it's trying to get to the person that's back there behind them calling. I would love to see that. The only hunts I've been on have been, well, I did go on one archery hunt, but that was unsuccessful. It was a cow archery hunt with my buddy Bob, and that was not guided just going out there and doing it ourselves or trying to do it ourselves and i mean it was cool i enjoyed camping out there in the hills and stuff like that but the uh the hunts i have gone on that have been successful have all been firearm hunts but i think an archery hunt would just be awesome i'm gonna put in for the tags again this year i think that it's open right now isn't it you can put in for the elk tags now mm, yes i will put my name in the hat again and hope to get drawn i took a guy from national geographic around to photograph an elk hunt. really yeah. oh i think you told me about that and the, a woman was going to try to take one with the with a crossbow, but um, you told me she missed. Talking, yes, but yeah. it felt like twenty-five yards short. Yeah. <laughs> he saw a puff of dust. Like, oh well, yeah. not, not enough, not enough weapon. Yeah. Well, 
crossbow will get it done. I know there's some talk right now about uh, extending crossbow season. I saw the, the only reason I know that is because I was looking at the department's Facebook page yesterday, and I, they put out the regs, the rules and regs for this year's hunting season. Mm-hmm. And there were some people saying, "Well, crossbow youth should be able to crossbow hunt early season, so they can get the opportunity to get out their kids that are too small to pull back a compound bow." And you know, I have mixed feelings. I was out there pulling back a compound bow when I was a little kid. You know, mm-hmm. I was a little bit bigger than most kids though. Mm-hmm. And uh, the department, whoever runs the department Facebook page, was saying that. There is actually talk right now, and I think that it's open for public opinion. It's that stage of the game where the po- there's a poll out there, and uh, I'm not sure if that's available on our website. I really should have got my facts straight before I mentioned this, but I think that uh, if somebody was to go online right now, there might, and I say might because I'm not 100% sure, be a spot to kind of vote or, or voice your opinion on crossbow season being the length of archery. So if you're interested in that, maybe check into it. I really hope I'm correct on that. But I saw the department talking about it yesterday, so I should be. Mm-hmm. I feel fairly safe in that. So, and uh, do you know much about how that system works when new rules and regs are proposed and the public opinion that, that input? No, you know it goes after it passes the commission. You okay. know the commission recommends. Uh, yeah. You know. So our biologists say we'll come up with the reg mm-hmm. that they think would be beneficial. And sometimes there's some some debate, and uh-huh. sometimes there's some compromise and some slight modifications, and then. It passes the commission, and then it goes to the legislature. Uh-huh. And then it has to go through the processes in the legislature of public hearing and things of that nature and pass through the committees and things. Mm-hmm. And then then it has to work through several steps before it becomes regulation. But there is a stage in the game. Mm-hmm. I think before our, our recommendations are made to the commission. Well, we have committee meetings in which people can hear what's yeah. going to be proposed at the commission, mm-hmm. and they can come and comment. Yeah, I have seen. I've watched it. I've they're a month before the commission votes on. I've looked in on those meetings before, specifically for the catfish one. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were a lot of people there that were invested in that, and they were voicing. You know, anybody in the room was allowed to say their opinion mm-hmm. and, and speak up and let the commission hear them. And I mean, a lot of people did that during the catfish one. But pe- that's open to the public. People can come and and voice that opinion at the meetings. But say somebody has to work, they can't make it to the meeting. Mm-hmm. There is a stage where uh, public opinion is taken into consideration when the changes are being proposed or before they're proposed so i think that you know there's polls out there and there's voting that's done and we get a gauge of how people feel about it before we ever even propose a change right well i think yes we we do a lot of times we do surveys and stuff like that just to you know just to see what the temperature of the room is yeah and that's what's going on right now and that that can yes and that that can uh influence what happens uh you know i've i've Sometimes things are controversial, and sometimes people think certain things. But from my experience, I've been here since 2000. Um, I was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're the same age as me, then. Same age as me. Yeah, I'm going backwards. Um, and I don't know of, of, of regulation that was ever passed that, that would lead to the detriment. Yeah or the hurting of any of our species or any of our resources, they are passed with honorable intentions. Yeah. Um, sometimes people have a little bit of difficulty seeing that, and some people are passionate about what they believe in, and that's that's fantastic. But I don't know if anything's ever been proposed that would be to the detriment of the resource. Well, yeah. Our goal is we want it better when we're gone than it was before we got there. Well, that's, yeah. that's the goal. Well, if you look at how far things have come, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty obvious to yeah. see that. But I mean, people look. Forty-four at, turkeys registered or checked in in 1978. Forty-four statewide. 
2,000 deer in the state in 1945, and now we got 1.2 million. Mm -hmm. And no elk in the state back then, and now we got, yeah, roughly 10,000. I'm not sure what the exact number is, but somewhere around there. But um, you got people look at things through a lens. It's just like the elk video I was talking about earlier. You know, somebody saw that trailer of elk leaving wherever it was, and they thought, well, they're taking the elk away. But the truth is, I mean, that's the lens they chose to look at that through. Truth is, that those elk are being used to create more elk, you know, mm -hmm. create a new population. and They grow and reproduce well here in Kentucky. We have excellent food resources. No, so they, no, no natural predators. Yeah, but they, they do well. That's, I mean, that's why that cow elk was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. The average life expectancy of an elk in the wild, like I said, 13 years. The fact that there's an 18-year-old elk out there mm -hmm. tells you that they do pretty well here in Kentucky. Of course, we don't have wolves here. We don't have cougars. So, I mean, those two things probably help quite a bit. And food should be pretty plentiful out there in eastern Kentucky. I mean, they got plenty of habitat. There's just woods as far as you can see. So, yeah, I think I think they do pretty well. But just wanted to touch on that. And if anybody is interested in how the regs are are proposed or the process to that, I mean, I would I would suggest looking into it because there is a lot of pub public opinion that's taken into consideration there. So, mm -hmm. let's see. I know you went with. Uh, chad down to talk to mr hayes mm -hmm. recently yes that was excellent i'm sure you enjoyed that yeah and i finally you know I've, I've done it before but you know for this time i took some really detailed pictures of the you know the rod that caught the world record smallmouth still has a bend from that fight to this day yeah. it was a true temper um it looks like a bamboo rod it's metal he bought it at dupont hardware in louisville mm -hmm. um I wonder if they, they claim that. I wonder if DuPont Hardware. And, I don't know. <laughs> what's the one that is it? Maybe I'm getting it wrong. It was the one that used to have the, the bucket of paint pouring. I think uh, it is. I'll have to look at it. That sounds like DuPont. Yeah. Um, but I may. I think I've got that wrong. I'll think of it when I don't care. Okay. Um, and he paid, I think, $19 for the rod. And he has a big, fat, old pin reel that was very similar to the one I grew learned how to cast with that my granddad had that old, the old lever you clicked and mm -hmm. to release the spool and all and i think he said he paid maybe 30 dollars but i think his whole outfit which back then was a 50 dollar outfit that was probably top of the line oh it's very pricey I mean, look mm -hmm. at how belt nap hardware belt nap hardware i knew i had it wrong. back <laughs> in the day when you're going up 65 there used to be an old uh neon sign that had uh, uh paint i think pouring i think i was belt nap hardware and it would uh, there's a memory in my mind of when i was little See, um, I, uh, I I can't remember which hardware stores were around in 1953. So, <laughs> you know, I, I have no... This would have been the 70s, thank you. Yeah, that was actually uh, <laughs> 11 years before my parents were born, 1950s. Yeah, so. 55 is when he caught it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and and the rod still has the bend from that big fish. Yeah. I knew you'd enjoy going down there. And, yeah, I've, I've, that's my third time I've been down there. Yeah. Mr. Hayes. I was kind of jealous I didn't get to go on that one. Yeah, I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to meet him. And, you know, I still might be able to someday. He's getting up there in age, but... Mm -hmm. You know, he, His uh, mind's still sharp. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. I'd like to meet him. I'd like to just see that fish. It's a you know, smallmouth is one of my favorite fish to target. And uh, the, mm -hmm. world, the fact that the guy who caught the world record sixty was it nineteen fifty five, so sixty four years ago, mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yes, no doubt. But um, well, I think for the next podcast, and I don't, I might post this just early next week. Uh, I think I might post the full Daryl Hayes interview. Mm -hmm. So I'll just get in here and I'll record an intro and just tell people what they're about to listen to. And then it's a 51 minute mm -hmm. interview where he talks, you know, all about it. 
And uh, I was listening to part of the audio the other day, and I thought, man, that's really interesting mm-hmm. to hear the full story from the man who caught the world record mm-hmm. and, you know, the controversy surrounding it and all that. So we told the story in here already, but I think the full story from his own mouth is something that people would enjoy hearing. Well, so I placed the article I wrote in his lap, and I, I know I sent him some, and I know I sent my, his son a few, but, you know, that was back in 2008. Yeah. And uh, in the the graphic design of the piece, which I was really happy about, they took some pre-impoundment pictures mm-hmm. uh, of, and transposed them with Benji and Mr. Hayes, but you could still see that area where now Del Hollow State Park Marina is and the new David L. Hayes boat ramp. And he picked it up. He goes, I used to catch a lot of big walleye right there. That was right around the corner from the old old ramp and old marina mm-hmm. at Del Hollow State Park. So it was, that, that was, I mean, my mouth, my throat was in my mouth. I've uh, I fished that spot several mm-hmm. times. There's I some good, good grass mat there. We hit that mm-hmm. all the time when we go smallmouth fishing. I'm not trying to give Chad's spots away, but mm-hmm. that's a spot that I've hit plenty of times. And there's this girl on Instagram. Her name is Midwest Fisher Gal. And uh, she does, she kayak fishes all over the place. So she only kayak fishes, but she catches, like I said, she got like a seven foot sturgeon the other day out of her Hobie and she catches a, a ton of big bass and just fish of all different species. She dates a guy uh, that I used to work with at Sportsman's Warehouse in Lexington. Mm-hmm. He, he was like a fishing manager back then. But anyway, she was down there smallmouth fishing the other day. I couldn't tell where she was at from the photo, but I messaged her and I said, uh, you know, where are you fishing? I was willing to give her a, a couple of spots that we like to hit and target smallmouth when we're there. And she told me where she was fishing. And I was like, well, sounds like you've got it all figured out. <laughs> she she had she mentioned like the three spots I was going to tell her. And that was one of those spots. Well, the thing with Dale that Chad's taught me is, man, those weed beds, they're, they're, they're the deal. Yep. You're around pretty much, don't you think? Oh, that's all we target when we yeah. go there. Um as long as the fish aren't suspended, mm-hmm. if they're on the bottom, I mean, those weed beds are where, That's to where be. they're at. Yeah, and there you can find uh, because, like this time of year, right now the water's pretty cold. Those smallmouth are looking for warmer well, spots. I just looked; it was a couple, uh, last week. It was forty-six degrees. You know Dale. what? Well, the last time we went down there and had a really good day, we caught three four pounders without even starting the motor, and it's because they were stacked up on the boat ramp. Because, you know, that sun hits the mm-hmm. boat ramp and it warms it up. I love boat ramps. Yeah. That's a great place to fish for you. Have an hour to kill and you don't have a boat, go fish a ramp. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the cold weather, they will stack mm-hmm. up on those hard surfaces that absorb sunlight and warm up. Because, I mean, it might be two degrees warmer right yeah. there on top that's, of the ramp. That's great from February all the way through until yeah. it gets warm. Two degrees makes a big difference to a fish. Mm-hmm. So, um, And a hard bottom does, too. Yeah. So target those boat ramps. But what we'll do is we'll go find the grass mats. And we'll cast into them. We'll be pulling our, our jig or our lure through. And if you're pulling through grass and then you feel it break free of the grass and you're just in on a hard bottom, it's like, get ready. Because mm-hmm. that, that's where the fish are going to be. That's, yep. Excuse me. They're really in the transition spots where it goes from grass to a hard bottom or a chunky bottom. It's, you know, a consistent bottom is tough to fish. But if you can find a transition, that's usually a good spot to target. And a lot of times at the end of the ramp where people will trailer their boats through the years, there will be a big scour hole. Yeah. And a lot of times there will be nothing around it. You throw something in that scour hole at the end of the ramp, bam, yeah. I have caught a blue million right there. I caught a really nice bass down at Cumberland doing that. It was actually after a shoot, and I kind of felt bad because we were out there with a guy who really knows how to fish. I mean, he's a BFL champion, and he kind of struggled that night. It was Chad's night, not his night. And, you know, I was... It um, happens. Yeah, well, yeah. I wouldn't feel too bad if Chad beat me. But... uh. Yeah. I kind of felt bad for him, not because Chad, you know, put a hurting on him, but because when we got back to the 
ramp and trailer the boat, I said, you know, let me grab one of those poles. I'm going to take three casts real quick. And I walked down there on the dock and I cast the ramp and I had like a three and a half pounder on cast number two. <laughs> I was like, well, and I, it was bad because I, I wanted a, a picture with it. So I, I was like, do you mind taking my picture with this fish? And I felt like I was just rubbing salt in the wound. You know what I mean? But it was fun. That's fishing. Yeah, you know, that's how it goes. I get my, Some days chicken, some days feathers. That's just the way it is. I get my butt whooped all the time. I do too. Trust me. Oh, trust me. Yeah, I'll be getting my butt whooped a lot here soon because uh, as soon as the weather stops being as cold as it is and we start getting some warmer days, I'm going to be hitting these spawn ponds. Mm -hmm. And I plan on this, you know, when the bass are pre-spawn in the farm ponds, that comes, you know, before the lakes, they warm up a little bit quicker. So late February, early March. Well, done well. Yeah, that's when I'll be out there. You going to bring your old friend Lee? Yeah, you want to go? <laughs> come fish next time. I'm only back for a year. <laughs> <laughs> You can, you can. <laughs> I'll bring you a fifth of whiskey. How about that? You want to go tonight? No, well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, let me see. We might six, need, but six below wind chill. I yeah. think I'll pass tonight. Yeah. I'm hardcore, but yeah. we might need the whiskey to stay warm, but <laughs> might <laughs> keep from freezing up out there. Well, one, one thing, real quick, is Cumberland is higher than than it's seven twenty nine. Mm -hmm. As of, I mean, that's four feet above summer pools. Yeah. Lord have mercy. Yeah, However, they're, they're pulling the heck out of it. Yeah. 220, 24-7 have been for weeks. It's 10 gates open. Yeah. And if you go, I mean, it looks like you're looking at a miniature Niagara Falls where they have, have the... Their, Top gate, I mean, they're yeah. just... However, that doesn't last forever. And one thing about this super cold weather, if we get another... They're talking like we might get another one of these punches uh, into next week. Right. That'll thermally stress those LIs, especially the threadfin shad, and they'll start coming through the dam as you get into late winter. February is a prime month. Walleye will stack up below the dam there. Um, the brook trout record has been caught in March from that same pattern, uh, like the last two, I believe. Uh, Sauger will be up there. So um, if you don't have a boat, and if the generation schedules and the release schedules get somewhat amenable, the fish are there. It's just really high to fish right now. But right below uh, Wolf Creek Dam will be fantastic as those shad that are on the throes of, yeah. of, of perishing and they're kind of, they just sit there and gorge on them. Yep. That's how we caught them last year down there. Pull up uh, basically right to the dam. I wouldn't do it with yeah. 10 gates open. No. But, but whenever they stop pulling so much water, I would just go up there and basically cast that shad or that shad imitator, whatever you got, mm -hmm. as close to a dead shad as you can get. Uh, cast it right there below the dam, basically right mm -hmm. up against it. And you can just drift back, and you will get hammered pretty much every cast. I've seen guys just, and then just rip it right at the dam. I'm like, you're going to hit it? Okay. And then they drift down, bam, 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 and they'd hit one. You yeah, know? That's be, that would be a, a bad place to do that at. Yeah. I don't know if people understand exactly why, you know, some, summer pool, winter pool, what the point is and why they're pulling so much water right now. But you said it's four feet above summer pool. So, so winter pool is 705, it's 729. Yeah, so they're 24 feet over right now. Yes. So um, what is going on is the main purpose of the reservoirs of Cumberland is also hydropower, mm -hmm. but it's uh, flood control. You know what I mean? So when we get our rain in the spring, we want to have some leeway. We want to be able mm -hmm. to hold a bunch of that rain back. Mm -hmm. And that's what summer pool is, is when the water goes up, summer pool is because- Then we, they hold it, yeah, yeah for the recreation season. So during the winter, we want to drop those lakes to make room for rain in the spring. 
And so uh, that's why they're trying to pull that because we do not want to go into spring with a light with, that. With 729, yeah. Yeah, we don't want to go into the spring with a lake that's holding that much. So they're pulling hard right now. And I personally hope they get it down pretty quick mm -hmm. because one of the fears, I don't know how realistic this is, but something that somebody said to me, and I think it makes sense. Not This wasn't a, an expert that said it, but they're like, well, if the water level stays way up and they're still having to pull hard into spawning period, mm -hmm. then I mean, there's a chance that. Those small mm -hmm. mouths could lay their eggs, and then, and then they pull the water off the nest. They pull, yeah. pull the water off. So that's something we don't want to lose a, a year class of fish. No doubt. So hopefully they get those lakes down to winter pool, and and stop pulling the water so hard before the spawn takes place. Mm -hmm. But um, it'll be a while before they get all that. I mean, that's a lot of water they've got to get out. Of. Yeah, I'm not sure how. I know Dell's still up. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's nearly as bad as Cumberland no, is. Cumberland is. Yeah. I, you, you look. Uh, you were the one telling me about. Uh, how often the water transitions through different lakes. Mm -hmm. You know, you said Kentucky Lake is like three days. It's, mm -hmm. the, it's the fastest. It replenishes water really quickly. You said Cumberland. Laurel takes a year. Yeah, Cumberland is somewhere up there too. It's, mm -hmm. yeah. it's so big and so deep, it just takes a long time to, to replace that water. Well, Cumberland is the highest water volume of any man-made lake mm -hmm. in the U.S. So, I mean, you got to think, it, it holds more water than any man-made lake in the U.S. I mean, it's got to be kind of tough to pull all that water out of there. If it's sitting 20... 24 feet above winter pool. I mean, that's a lot of water. No doubt. So, well, Kentucky Lake, they're pulling 200,507 CFS right now. Very strong current. How much was that? 200,507 CFS is going through Kentucky Dam as of right as of when I checked earlier. I'm kind of surprised they, they actually tell you to the cubic foot. It's like 200,500. Yeah, probably... yeah, no, 507. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's a very strong current. And uh, Barkley, 64,900 above average current. 47 degrees in both lakes. Huh. Huh. That's interesting. So, but that also gives you an idea how Kentucky, because it, it's just, you know, it's a reservoir, but it has the characteristics of a big river at times, too. So K Kentucky Lake, mm -hmm. well, that's what you said, it transitions its water so quick. So it's, that's, but it's like constant, it's like a buffet going by all those fish, though. I mean, you have pizza buffet in your face 24-7 because you have that wonderful, nutrient-rich, fresh water coming through there all the time. That's true. That's a good good way to put it. I would be, uh, if I had a pizza buffet in front of my face all the time, I... Would look different. <laughs> <laughs> Your cholesterol is four thousand six hundred twenty-one. <laughs> That's <laughs> Your BMI is eighty-eight. <laughs> Luckily, it don't work that way for no. fish. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh well, you got anything else you want to go over here, Lee? That's pretty um, much what I wanted to get well, out. I, um, yeah. I one last thing. Don't know the float and fly slow with these kinds of conditions uh, on Dale and then on Cumberland. I didn't look up Laurel. I don't know what Laurel looks like, but um, from what I hear, it's, it's probably going to be, at least on Cumberland anyway, it's going to be a few weeks before that pattern kicks in. It's going to be probably a mid-February to late February to mid-March type deal if you'd like to throw the fly. Yeah, well, that'd be a good way to catch a striker. When they're pulling that much water, it just doesn't, yeah. you know. Yep, uh, pulling water's tough, but hopefully they get it figured out here soon, like I mm -hmm. said, and those legs drop back down. Uh, I'll do a lot of predator hunting this weekend, so hopefully i got some stories to tell uh, oh, right. after that. Uh, I know the goose season is still in through February 15th, I believe, mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully this you know cold weather is going to... We'll push some down. Yeah, that's because people have been telling me it's been an awful waterfowl it's season. It's been terrible. Yeah. Uh, one of my best friends who waterfowl hunts like a fiend didn't even buy his stamp this year. Yeah, one guy I know that's just all about it. It's like he lives and breathes waterfowl hunting he said he's only killed seven ducks this year and uh, so the hope is that this cold weather will push them down and you know it's negative 55 degree wind chills in chicago right now so <laughs> you think, about international falls yeah. like, how's anybody live there oh my gosh i mean it's 55 below you know 
Um, no, the last two days. How I've, do you start your car in that? You have to have one of those heaters like they do in Montana. Yeah, yeah, there's no way. you got to have a garage or something. Well, to, they, they have those engine heaters, too. The last two mornings, I've uh, gone to leave the house to head to work, and I wake up with the worst hair anybody's ever seen. I don't know how I do it while I sleep, but my hair is just going 10 different directions, so I, I don't do anything to my hair. I just get it wet, you know what I mean, and put, mm -hmm. it, put it where it's supposed to be. But my hair is frozen on the way to my car the last two days. And uh, the first day, I had to take care of some stuff outside, and so I was probably out there for a minute minute and a half and i mean my hair was frozen solid it was like i had gel in there or something it was just iced over so uh yeah it's it's burly yeah it's it's rough out there I'm, but i wanted to kill ticks and knock out some of this mold and yeah you know, but kill all the, every every uh lime <laughs> disease carrying tick in kentucky please mr polar vortex kill them all thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right well i say we sign awfully all but right yeah, man i will post that uh, daryl hayes interview if people are listening that'll probably be the next one to go up i got to talk to somebody about it because that's going to be on the show i don't know if i should uh leapfrog the show and post it early and i yeah, know you might that i want to run that one up yeah off. yeah that's what i'm gonna do but uh that very well could be the next thing to come out uh thanks for listening stay warm all that good stuff see you guys all right see you next week <laughs>